Today is an interesting anniversary. I don't know if most of you realize this. This the 30th of June was Dean's last day last year. A year. Can you guys believe that? I need to lie down. <laughs> a year. I can't uh, just. Yeah, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. So this morning we're going to be talking about raising little ones. Uh, as you can see, as we all know, there's quite a few little ones here. And this is the part of the sermon where we talk directly about what it means to raise them. Uh, and this is uh, a sermon for more than just parents. Um, I, I always find it uh, a little difficult sometimes, you know, we're at a church event or we're at someone's house and there's someone else's kids and you can see that the kid is not doing something that, or is doing something that the parents would not like. Uh, and I don't know about you, but what do you, right? I always struggle a little bit with uh, what to do with that. Then, you, then I don't know if you've had this experience. You go out on a limb and you tell the kid, hey, stop that. And, you know, they stick their tongue out and run away. And, and then you're like, okay, now I really don't know what to do. <laughs> so what does it mean to have little kids? What, what, is, what does it mean, little kids, to have not only parents, um, but, but brothers and sisters in the Lord who are, who are older and more mature than you? And so this sermon is partially for the kids. So hopefully there's a lot of them right down here. So if I'm staring down in this direction a great deal, it's because this is where a lot of them are. So our text this morning is um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. As, as we had read for us this morning, Proverbs 2, uh, and that addresses uh, children listening to their parents and the blessings that come with it. So let's seek the Lord now as we come to understand these things. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for all of these little ones in our midst. We thank you for fruitfulness. We thank you for covenant succession. We thank you, Lord God, that um, you have not given us lives to pursue our own uh, wills, our own desires, our own kingdoms, but uh, you are building your kingdom through us one generation at a time. We thank you for, th for this long and slow and sanctifying process. And we pray, Lord God, now that as we open your word, that we would understand it, understand you, understand one another and ourselves better, that we would be more faithful, that we would be more compassionate, and that we would be more like your son in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, the first thing that I have to, um, I, I want to explain is what, what is love, right? There you go. Keith, Keith uh, anticipated me here this morning. So there's a great deal I don't have to say, actually. Thank you. Love is a person, right? And, and sometimes when you get into these categories, it can get a little confusing because First John says that God is love. Uh, other times you hear me and, I, and other people say the, the law is love. Now, what, what is love? What is it, right? We, we've seen it. We've seen it in action. We've seen what a loving God is like because he came down amongst us and, and he, he, all he did was love everybody. Now, this is what it says in Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So love is the fulfilling of the law. The law itself is not love. When you actually don't, right, when you go out and you're not, you're not stealing and you're not murdering and you're not coveting and you're not committing adultery, right, that, that you can look at that person and be like, that is a loving person. That is a loving person. Now, what Romans, he doesn't get into here in Romans is that we can see, we saw with the, the Pharisees, that lots of people can obey some of the law. And Jesus talked about weightier matters of the law. And he talked about things like mercy, talked about things like ju uh, justice and mercy and compassion. So, so not stealing from someone, is, is that's, there's laws about that. Fulfilling that is loving the person. But there are, there are more laws than just the Ten Commandments. The, the Word of God, right? Well, think about it this way. Torah. The word Torah means law. And that's what they call the first five books of Moses. Well, have you ever noticed that in the first five books of Moses... The law part doesn't come in until when? Exodus, Leviticus. So why would they consider Genesis part of Torah, part of law? 
Well, because you can see in the way that the fathers are treating their children and children, their parents, and how they're treating the other tribes and all the things that are going on, you see law in action, just like we see with Jesus. Jesus comes, and he is a law unto himself. And, 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 you can, and, and the point here is that love is not this, this modern, ethereal, emotive, confusing nonsense that a lot of people, right? Love seems to be in the, in the public sense, in the, in the worldly sense, simply affirming people in, in their pursuit of their own heart. Uh, you, you're a boy, but you want to be a girl? Well, I, the loving thing would be to affirm you, right? The, you, you've fallen out of love with your wife, and, and, and now you're in love with your third secretary? Well, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to affirm you, and I'm going to, right? That's what the world wants us to think love is to affirm things, to support people. But that's not love. Okay? And, and I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times where I've been in situations and I think, you know, I want to love this person. I just don't know how. I don't know how. I want to grow in my love for my wife. How do I grow in my love for my wife? I want to love my kids better. How do I grow in my love for my kids? And, and, and this part really trips up a lot of people. Fulfilling the law is love, but not part of the law, right? All of the law. And so this is, this is the tricky thing about it. You go to the law, and what does it say? Well, there's nothing here but condemnation for you. You look at it, you're like, who can do all this? Who can love people the way Jesus loved people? So the law sends us to the cross, right? This is always how we need to think about this. I want to love better. I look at the law and I think, who is capable of doing this? And, and the law sends me to the cross. And I go there and I see what Christ has accomplished for me. I see what he, he this is love. And it's fulfilled for me. And there's no condemnation. And then the cross sends us back to the law and says, go and do these things. And, and full of the, right? He first loved us. He shows us. He's the example to us. We look in his word and we see what he did and what he's always done, what he's always been like. And, and, and we begin to understand. We begin to, to, to see, to comprehend. And, and the more of the word of God we know, the more law we know, the more of love we know. Law never saved nobody. But it's the only way that saved people can love anybody. And, and all of this, it is just a setup for, for the, the commandments about parenting. Are you loving your children? Do you wonder, do you love them? Do you love your spouse like you ought to? Well, go to the word of God, and it tells you how to love them. Because he says, this is the way you are to treat your wife. This is the way you are to treat your husband. This is the way you are to treat your children. And you go there, and you look at the law, and you think, oh, man. Oh, man. Christ, help me. Christ says, Done. Helped you. Done helped you. I died for you. I forgive you. Now go do it. Right? And, and then, right? This is, this is why we start every service with confession. We come and we look. We have to go and look at the cross. We have to go and be like, yes, look at all that stuff. All my sins are holding him up there. And he says, I forgive you. Now go. And, and what? Go and do what? Right? <laughs> go affirm people in their sin. Go affirm people in their wickedness. Go affirm them in the pursuit of their own hearts. No. Parents, go and do such. Children, go and do like and such. Okay? And, and so w with all of this in mind, because th this is... You, <laughs> I bought a whole bunch of books to give away for, for, for marriage and, and parenting and family, and you go and you start... To, like, I, I'm a fan of Doug Wilson, but how many family books can one man write? Right? And, 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 and the introduction of every one of them, he apologizes for writing another one, but then he just keeps writing them. <laughs> And, and there's a lot of helpful stuff there. Don't get me wrong. But, but what, I, what, what happens, right, what happens is that we tend to go and look somewhere for help. We look for the guidebook, right? 50 ways to love your wife. <laughs> uh, 10 things your children, uh, do these 10 things and your kids will definitely hate you. That was an article I read one time. And I said, okay, well, I definitely want to read this because I don't want my kids to hate me. One of them was not, uh, if, you, if you want your kids to hate you, don't give them dessert. Okay, that's helpful, to, I guess. <laughs> but, but what we fail to do is, is sit down with the Word of God and look. look what, you want to love them better? You want to love your spouse better, your husband, your wife, your kids? Look at the Word of God. And what does it tell you to do? 
And you start where you're supposed to start. You go to the cross and you say, I'm not doing these things. Please forgive me, Lord God, and give me the strength to go and do them. So what does God tell parents and children to do? There are very clear commands. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here is the standard. Right? That's what all this whole introduction I, I, was, I, I gave you guys is about this. God says go and love. And there's a standard by which we understand we're loving people or not loving people. For parents and children, there's a standard. Am I doing the, the things that God requires of me to do as a child? Am I doing the things that God requires of me as a father? Now let's look at these, some details here in, this, in these verses, the instruction part, before I get to the preaching part. Now, there is a ton here. There is a ton to think about in these verses. The obedience that is rendered by children is in the Lord. It doesn't just say obey. It says obey them in the Lord. right? And, and we've already covered that. There's no other way to obey. Because if you try to obey all by yourself, what's going to happen? Right? You either become a Pharisee or you, become, uh, you come to see yourself as what you really are is an utter failure. But in the Lord in the Lord who covers your sins, in the Lord who gives you the ministry of reconciliation, who calls you to a high standard and then provides everything you need in order to meet it, including the blood of his son. So, so children, if you're going to obey your parents, you can't just grit your teeth and do it. You, you have to do it in the Lord. You do it by prayer. You do it by submission to, to Jesus Christ. You do it by his power. The Greek word for obedience could be rendered listen up. Paul literally says, kids, listen up, listen to your parents. And this attentiveness to what parents say is described here by Paul as a form of honor. And he goes on to describe how much of a blessing it will be to the children who learn how to behave in this way. So children, when you listen to your parents, when you are attentive to your parents, you are honoring them. You're honoring what they say. You're honoring what they require of you to do. Then Paul goes on. And he addresses fathers. Now, one thing is prohibited and another is commanded. Fathers are told not to exasperate their children to the point of anger. <laughs> and you're like, right? And dads, we read this, we're like, oh, okay, that seems pretty straightforward. But I don't, you, but you got to think for a moment, right? Think about your own life as a dad. God, right, the reason he, he calls certain people out is because those certain people do the thing that he's telling them not to do, Right? This, isn't, this is because fathers exasperate their children. They do, to the point of anger. I know, is everyone surprised by that? I'm not surprised by that. I, I want to be surprised by that, right? I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, that's true. <laughs> Don't exacerbate them to the point of anger. Instead, we are to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, this word nurture is very interesting. It's very interesting because it's, it's only used twice. The other time that it's used is in chapter 5, verse 29, where it says, No man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So the only two times this word nourish is used is when in reference to a man's wife and a man's children. So you're supposed to nourish your wife, and you're supposed to nourish your children. Now, the word really means keep them warm. Just... <laughs> Right? And that's kind of strange. But, but what, what, think about what, right? Comfort food. Think about hearth and home. It's a warm and comforting place. You're supposed to nurture your wife and nurture your children. Let's go back. What's the fulfilling of the law? To love your neighbor as yourself. No man ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it. Right? How many of you guys are like, I hate myself? You know what I'm going to do? This self. I'm going to get you self. You're not going to eat for three days, self. We'll see how you like it. Yeah, you're gonna, you're not, you don't get to ride in the car. You're going to walk. No, what do we do, right? Oh, man, this, this car, you, you get as nice a car as you can with the nicest seat as you can. You get as nice a clothes as you can, right? You get the best food that you can. You go, and, and when do you ever economize for self, really? Right? I, 
we're prone to economize for everybody else. Oh, the kids can eat the knockoff cereal, but uh, I'm having T-bones, baby. <laughs> we nourish ourselves. We're very careful about how we take care of ourselves. And, and, and this is because, yeah, the law applies in every category. The law is take care of your neighbor the way that you take care of yourself. And when it comes to your wife and your children, it's no different. You're supposed to nourish them like you nourish yourself. He's a, a husband, a father, is supposed to be extremely considerate and caring for his wife and his children's welfare. Men are to bring them up, feeding, protecting, caring, watching over them as he would his own body. When it comes to parenting, our parental responsibility does not consist in getting young people to grit their teeth and conform to a standard. Our parental responsibility does not consist in getting young people to grit their teeth and conform to a standard. That is not parenting. That's not parenting. (laughs) The task before us is to nurture our children to love the standard and to be loyal to to both the standard, to the God of the standard, and to us. (laughs) There's this old adage about, like, I just, uh, as soon as I'm 18, I am gone. Get me out of here. Get me far away, right? This is like the culture of teenagers for how long now? I I get very confused about how to handle this because so many people say things to us about, oh, your kids, when they're teenagers, are going to do this or that, that that they're actually trying to now do those things. Like like they're, oh, now I'm this old, so I'm supposed to be annoying in this way, and I'm supposed to say this dumb thing, and I'm supposed to act this ignorant way over here. And almost like, you know, on cue, They've read the script. They know what they're supposed to do. But if you nurture your children, if you nurture them, you're you're getting them to be loyal to the standard that you've set and to you so that when they're 18, you actually have to kind of get, you know, force them into the car and drive them away to college. I I would rather have tears and hugs, and it's like I'm, I'm, uh, you know, it's a real moment of sending them out, and it's kind of dangerous opposed to the, right, we blow out the birthday candles and we turn the light on and we're like, where'd they go? Where'd the 18-year-old go? (laughs) Love and loyalty. Love and loyalty. This is what you are nurturing in your home. Love and loyalty. Now, what does this look like? It looks different a little bit for for children than it does for parents. But let's look, kids, at what this love and loyalty looks like. We go to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 to 22. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. Children, the instruction of your father and the law of your mother should be treated as a garland of grace for the head and an ornamental chain around the neck, a necklace made of precious gems. Obedience, allegiance, and loyalty to the instruction and the teaching of your parents is something that you wear for all to see. You don't keep it in your back pocket. You don't keep it in a locked jewelry box on the dresser. A young person should take care to bind kindness and truth around his neck, and as he does this, by not forgetting the parent's standard, by cultivating a heart that keeps that standard, the result is a blessed life. Now, Children, how many of you guys want a blessed life? Raise your hand. Okay, now, the way to do it is by honoring your mother and your father. I'm sorry. (laughs) I wish there were a cooler, easier way, but that's the way. And and, and think about it. Think about the kid who doesn't honor his mother mother and father. What kind of life in the real world do they go on to generally have? Right? The kid who leaves at 14. It's like, just get me out of this place. What kind of life does that person tend to lead? The person who goes out in the world and is like, I'm going to make it on my own. And they, and they don't look back. That, that person is not a blessed person. Blessing, blessing, a blessed life is to obey your mother and your father. The commandment to honor parents is, in fact, the first commandment with a promise. God says, right, all the, he's, he gives these commandments, and then he gets to this one, and he says, if you do this one, you will be blessed. You will be blessed in the land. Paul takes it and he transfers it to the world. Right? This, is, this world is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. All power in heaven and earth are his. 
He wants us to go out and expand and spread. And if you want to live a blessed life in this world, the way to do it, kids, is by obeying your parents. Take up the commandments of your father. Do not abandon the law of your mother. Tie them onto your heart and hang them around your neck. There's affection in these words. You love them. It is heartfelt, but not limited to the heart. Right? It's not just the secret in the heart. You wear it, on, you wear it like you would wear a gold medal. You wear your obedience as ornamentation for the whole world to see. Now, obedience to parents is therefore a young person's glory. Now, kids, how many of you would like some glory? Raise your hand if you'd like some glory. You're not so sure? Yeah, you do. Trust me. If you want glory, the glory is obeying your parents. What do you do with what your parents have asked you? Now, kids, I want you to think about this. There's mom, there's dad. They say, no, 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 don't wear that. You're going to go back and change your clothes. No, 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 it's bedtime. No, 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 you got to finish your homework. No, don't run in the house, please. No, you're definitely not watching that on Netflix. Now, there's two ways to respond to these commands. You trudge off reluctantly, muttering to yourself. If, right? I remember there was, I'm not going to out which brother, but he did not realize that the blinds were, were, were turned in such a way that you could see out the front. And so mom tells him to do something, and he is not happy about it, and he goes out the door and walks down the walk, and we're all standing there, the whole family, and he's got both fingers up just doing this little dance, like right in front of the window like nobody can see him. <laughs> and, and, I th- and, I, and I think... How many times, I never went that far, I'm not as hardcore as my brother, but I mean, how many times your parents tell you to do something and you're like muttering under your breath, you're rolling your eyes, you're sighing, because the thing that they told you not to do is the thing you wanted to do, right? Kids, how often do your parents tell you to do something you don't want to do? Yeah, all the time, right? Both hands up there, my kids. But, but this, is what, this is not the way that kids think. When is the last time your dad or your mom told you something and you thought, that is wise and prudent? That is full of glory and goodness? I am going to go do that right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But what Paul is saying is that the obeying your parents is like winning a gold medal in the Olympics. Now, what would we think... <laughs> if the Olympians are there on the podium and they put the gold medal around their neck and before the national anthem is even over, he takes, he takes the gold medal off and he throws it down in his gym bag and he huffs off. You're like, that guy's an idiot. Do you have any idea how the glory, the honor that was just bestowed upon you? But, but so often, kids, this is, right? You, you take the thing that is supposed to be your glory and, and you throw it down in the gym bag and you huff off because it's not what you want to do. Now, the downside of all of this that I'm saying, kids, I'm sorry, but it's very uncool. It's very uncool. The, unco- the uncool thing to do is to wear your parents' authority and, and commands around your neck like a gold medal. The fashion of our day is autonomy and shunning all of authority. Now, I'm going to – this part's a little controversial. I, I, I brought it up with my kids last night just, just to throw it at them to see how they would react. But, but the problem with our culture now – is what I call the Disney gospel. The Disney gospel. Now, I love Disney movies, so don't get me wrong. Big fan of Star Wars, Marvel, all that stuff. But let's just think for a moment about the standard that they're setting. The Disney gospel teaches us that dad is generally an idiot and that and mom just doesn't understand. Right? Think of the movie Brave. If mom just understood, if mom just understood me, everything would be fine. And dad is just this moronic funny, funny, moronic medieval guy just running around like killing bears and stuff. He, he just he's clueless. Dad's clueless, mom doesn't get it. And, and this, is what, this is what the world wants you to do. Your dad is a moron and your mom doesn't understand, right? It's, now, it's not like she was ever a kid. I, I remember thinking, I remember just having such a heart, I was like, I just don't buy it. I don't buy that my mom was ever eight. When I was eight. I just, it just is incongruous to me. So, of course, she doesn't understand. You're in your mid-30s. But this, this is the Disney gospel. And so what does Ariel do? Against the wishes of her very angry father, she pursues the boy anyway. 
Merida, as I mentioned, she just wants to fulfill her dream in the movie Brave. The whole message is dig down and believe in yourself. You know what's best. Now, Pinocchio, right? How does he end up becoming a real boy? Mischief. In his mind, he's like, I'm not really a real boy until I run away with these people who turn into donkeys. If any of you guys remember the story. No one understands Belle, right? This is what makes her such a wonderful character. And her dad is a total buffoon. And it's Belle who does everything. She does what's noble. She does what's right. She sings the best songs. She reads the books. Simba, uh, this is the one where I, I struggle every time I watch this with my kids because it's like, whoa, you never commit sins and just run away. Right? And then Simba is like, he thinks he's been the cause of his father's death. And instead of standing up and facing it, what does he do? He runs off. And, and it's not until the other lions come and they're in total desperation, and, and then the ghost of his dead father, like Hamlet, comes and convinces him to go back. It's like, well, if your dad had really taught you, you would have known what to do as soon as he died. But you weren't listening. And, and the, follow what's in your heart. This is the Disney gospel. You, you little kids are so smart. You're the heroes of your own quirky little story. You know what's best and just follow your heart. The word of God, however, tells us a little something about the human heart which is it is deceitful above all things. <laughs> so the Disney gospel creates a whole lot of problems. This is the cultural air in which we breathe. If a kid actually obeys his parents, let alone wears it like a lay, a garland, a crown, this is countercultural, and therefore it is very uncool. And kids, I'm telling you, if you want to be on the side of God, it requires being very uncool. Uh, I can tell you that as a man who's followed God for many years now. Generally, we, we Christians, I love you all, we're on the outside of what's cool. And I'm totally okay with that. Generally. Until what? The cool shaming starts. And I want to appear not to be a backwards thinking moron. And so, right? And we're tempted to pursue whatever the cultural coolness is at the moment. And for kids, this is pulling against them all. It's very uncool to be down with what your parents tell you. Do they always make you go to bed at that time? How come you don't have a cell phone? And, and then our propensity, Christians, is to tend to hide our kids in caves. And that is a terrible idea. That's a terrible idea. Now, I, I can see that this is the point where many parents are elbowing each other and praying that their little pill of an adolescent is listening to what Pastor Claus is saying. This is the point where many of you, I can tell, are holding your heads very steady because you want to look down to make sure everyone is listening. <laughs> but this is not a life of ease for parents or natural for children. It's not. What I am describing is not natural for kids, and it's not easy for parents. How does a child put on his parents' instruction as a garland, as a gold medal? How does that happen? How do you get your kids to put it on like a gold medal like a garland. It does not arise from raw demand. <laughs> you will put this gold medal on. That's never going to work. They're just going to get further away. Where does this personal loyalty, this love, this obedience come from? How do kids get it? As always, God models it for us. What he asks us to do, what he asks us to do, he shows us how to do. 1 John 4:19 and we love him we love him because he first loved us No one here loves the living God no one here loves Jesus or the Father or the Spirit because you decided all on your own by yourself first to love them Everyone here who loves the Lord our God loves him responsively it's a response The triune God loved us and our response to them is love if you want your children to love you, then love them. It's as simple as that. <laughs> that was a joke. If, if you want them to love you, love them. Parents establish the foundation of loyalty by loving their children in a way that nurtures a desire to love back. But what happens is we, we just become drill sergeants. We're just marching this little clan, this little army down the field, and, and we're just right marching them on to their 18th birthday so they can finally get out of here and we can go do all the things we were going to do before we had kids. Just get the unit off the field. <laughs> but if you want them, to, if, if you're sitting there and you're wondering, you know, they just don't love the standard. 
I, I wonder if they love me. The, the, the question isn't what's wrong with them. The question is what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And, and now we get back to the gospel because what's wrong with you? <laughs> you are a selfish person who doesn't lo- right? Who has a difficult time loving anybody. If you want them to love you, love them. Model it for them with your relationship with God and with your parents. <laughs> I remember distinctly, there was a time I was saying something not totally respectful about my parents at the dinner table. And then my son made, right? He's like, oh, he's getting in the spirit of the thing. And so he makes a crack at me, and I just totally come unglued. How dare you talk about your dad that way? <laughs> and, 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 and what, what right? If, if I am nothing but honoring towards my father and my mother, if, I'm, if I do nothing but love the standard that God gave me, what are they going to do? They're, they're, ne- they're going to see this is how you treat parents. This is how you treat standards. This is how you treat God. Parents must embrace the task of communicating in a contagious way love for the standard, honoring it as if it were a gold medal. Do you love your father's standards? Do you love to obey the Lord your God, your father in heaven? Do you, you're thinking in your own, man, I don't like I should. And man, it's hard. Now, take that and put it in the mind of your child. That's exactly what they're going through. Right? How uncool is it to follow the commandments of God? How difficult is it for us? You look at the standard of God that God has set for you. Do you throw up your hands in frustration? Do you roll your eyes? Do you pretend not to hear? Have you stopped listening? You're like, you know, I've read this particular portion of the Bible so many times I always feel really bad about myself so I'm going to just stop reading it. Right? This is a burden that I can't handle so I'm just going to stop listening. And then you wonder why your kids stop listening. <laughs> I mean, this, this for me is so enlightening. What am I, what, how do I treat the word of God? How do I treat the standard? Right? Do we as parents wear Christ's standard around our neck like a garland? like an honor, like a gold medal, like we've won something. Are you surly towards God the Father? Then why are you shocked by your kids' surliness? If the kids are not getting the contagious love of these standards, then you are not a carrier. If your kids aren't catching it from you, I'm sorry to say you don't have it. If it's contagious love, right? If God the Father loves us and so we love him back, that's a contagious love. If we're now with our kids, right? there's a problem. We're not a carrier of this contagious love. Are they watching you throw up your hands in defeat and saying, this is too hard, this is impossible, this is too much, and you wonder why they are rebelling against you, refusing to do hard, impossible things? You've all seen the kid. You're like, all right, come on, Johnny, let's clean the bedroom. And they come into the bedroom door and they just lie down. They're like, this is impossible. I'm just going to lie here and die. And you know where they learned that? You. That's where they learned it. You see the word of God. You see all that he's required you to do. And you're like, I'm just going to sit here on the couch and watch Netflix. I'm just going to get on Instagram. Well, my commands are not impossible, you say to yourself. Look, 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 Johnny, come on, look at this room. It's what, 8 by 10 feet? You can't clean this thing? This said by the dad who had looked at porn. This said by the mom who can't stop gossiping. This said by spendthrift parents. This said by the husband and the wife who haven't repented to each other in a while. Right? They're not doing the impossible. They're not doing the hard thing, and yet they want their kids to do the impossible and hard thing. When is the last time the kids saw you get on your knees and cry out, this is too much for me, God save me, God strengthen me, God help me? When's the last time your kids saw you do that? How, how are they ever going to learn to do it if they don't see it? You're just going to tell them? <laughs> how, do, how well does that work? Just do, hey, you know what you need to do? Cry out to Jesus, come on now. And then you go away. And what, what do you leave them with? 
If you want them to do it, do it. If you, if you want them to do it, you've got to do it. If you want your children to be obedient, show them what obedience looks like. If you want children who surrender to the standard with abandon and with love and with passion, model it. If you want kids to be obedient, demonstrate obedience. Apart from this glad and contagious obedience, apathy and spiritual atrophy set in. And discipline, if and when it ever occurs in these circumstances, is just clobbering the kids. And this is one that's hard. I I am all for physical discipline if you're doing it correctly. You take away the contagious love, love part, you're just clobbering them. And frankly, you should just stop. You should just stop. There's been parents, I'm like, stop, phys- stop. Uh, I'm going to sound like a worldly psychologist here, but we're going to go to timeouts until we can get you under control. Because at this point, you're just creating little, like the worst kind of hypocrite hellions who hate you, and they hate the standard, and they hate God. I'm all for spanking, but spanking inappropriately, I can't support ever. Right, And if you are just disciplining, <laughs> sometimes I joke, Right, one of my kids needs some discipline, I try to make a joke, so I start stretching. Right, And, the, and that always, they always think it's a little funny, actually. I'm like working my arm out, like, oh, I'm going to throw a couple innings at baseball. But if you just go to it with a little bit of a grin on your face, right? <laughs> what, what kind of standard are you setting? Since a beatdown is not what God tells parents that they ought to do, the lesson everyone is learning is that we don't have to do what God says. That love does actually hurt. That love is angry. That love is ugly. If you are teaching your kids to read and they are not reading their Bibles, just like you, if they don't know the standard, just like you, and can't love it, just like you. If you are teaching your kids to read, because we're good Christian parents. We're going to teach them to read. We're going to give them Bibles. So kiddos, sit down and read the Bibles. And then what they see is mom demanding submission through gritted teeth, yet never submitting ever to dad. All you parents are doing are raising Satan's children for him. You don't even have to send them to public school. You're doing it right in your own home. If they are reading about the good news of reconciliation in the Bible and never seeing any reconciling ever, you are raising children who hate the standard. If they are reading about grace and forgiveness and law and love and goodness and truth and beauty in the context of a house that actively rejects all of these things, then what you are doing is sending them down the road to perdition. This is what what Jesus said to the the Pharisees. You, You go all the way across the world to get a convert, and you raise them to be twice the son of Satan that you are. And And... Some parenting is just like this. It's like, man, we love to hate on public school, but let's go into everybody's house and look at what the standards are. Maybe, right? Maybe you're just doing it for them. Just raising kids who hate the standard. If the kids see mom and dad snarling at them with the biblical standards in one hand, (laughs) and the kids who don't have a biblical standard at all because no one's taught them are snarling back, there's a systemic problem in the household. I'm just going to say that. When you are looking down at the verse in your Bible, see, this is what happens. Right here, I believe this is actually what occurs that creates all this, all this drama, all this trouble, all, this, all these problems. You're looking down at the verse in the Bible. It's a clear command from God for you. And you know that it's impossible. You're, looking, you're like, man, this is impossible for me in my flesh. I know that unless I die to myself, I am never going to do this. I know that the standard is calling me to come and to die. I know that I am standing on a me cliff, and I've got to jump. Now, how often do do right conscientious Christians we read the Bible on on any level, and this is what happened? Well, that got me there. That cut me. But you know. If it happens in the context of family reading, then you look over at your wife's Bible verses. You see what she's got to do. You're like, oh, there's the command for her. And you think, man, that seems really easy. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You're thinking resentfully. I mean, it says respect your husband. That seems pretty easy. 
It is simple to comprehend. I give you that. But she is re- she can read the verse, and so it's, it is actually easy on one level, but she is thinking the same thing that you're thinking. This standard is calling me to come and die. And this is the thing that we forget. We think we're the only ones that have to do any dying. If we think of dying, <laughs> we tend to forget that everybody else also has to die. We think the problem is cognitive dissonance. We think our kids are just idiots. We think the husband is just lazy, right? I mean, it's very clear. Get off the couch and look at what all the things you're supposed to do. It says, do hard things. You're a man, go do some hard things. And we forget that all of those hard things require him to die. For the teenage daughter to not roll her eyes at you, this requires her dying. Now, I don't know how many times I've been standing there and I've had a boss who says something and the eye roll almost happens, but because I'm an adult, I can control it. But we think when we tell her, you know, you see the kid roll their eyes, you're like, what do you... To not roll their eyes at you requires for them to die, and how hard is dying? For the five-year-old <laughs> to pick up the toys and not play with... I don't know how many times I got caught in this trap. Go clean the playroom. All right, uh, all right, you go in the playroom like 20 minutes later and they're playing with it. And you're like, guys, I mean, seriously, picking an object off the ground and putting it in a bucket, if we made it any easier, you would just be lying in a bed. <laughs> and and right? we've forgotten that crucial part where what they want to do is play with it. What you want them to do is pick it up. And so, right, And be, are human beings naturally submissive to authority? Do human beings naturally put on that authority... You know, the three-year-old that puts it on like a gold medal and goes in there and picks up every single toy without stopping to play with any of them? Jesus may have done that, but that's the only one. Everybody has to die. The hard part is always dying. Who is sufficient for this? To obey, to take up the cross, and to follow Jesus. Why Why do you think you are the only one who has to die to do it? We think if our spouse and our children and our neighbors and our coworkers would just obey God, they would suddenly understand how swell you are. And we forget all that stuff about how hard it is to love unlovely people because we never think it's us, right? I, I'm standing around with all these disobedient people. If they would just obey God, there would be nothing but love in my life. Yet you are an extraordinarily unlovely person. And, and in order to, to, to the guy who blow, loses his cool, to the woman who won't be quiet, just nags and nags. Loving unlovely people is difficult to do. And everybody in your life has to do a lot of dying to have you in their life. I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. This always goes really well with premarital counseling. (laughs) I skip it now because it's just too difficult for them to understand. This principle means that you take the God standard for living in a community and marriage and family and you, you apply, you, I'm sorry, the, this principle means you don't take God's standard for living in a community and marriage and family and apply it to everybody else first. Following Jesus 101, apply the standard to yourself first. John 15, 12 through 14. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. What you need to do is lay your life down for others. And and what's the principle of love? The principle of love is that those who are first loved, love back. You want your kids to die? You want your kids to love you? Then show them. Do it. Do it. Love is all you need, (laughs) which means dying is all you need. If you are surrounded by disobedience and you want it to change, then practice obedience. Do it. You want them to do it? Do it. Do it yourself. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, but God doesn't understand how impossible what he is asking me to do is. He has no idea how hard it is to die for ungrateful sinners. Uh, Wait a minute. right? If that's what you're thinking, let's go back and let's sit down and let's read the gospel. The only person who understands perfectly what it is to die to himself for a bunch of ungrateful sinners is Jesus. And so if you've got to do a bunch of that, you know who you need? There you go, Jesus. This is why parenting, right? 
The standard that you're raising them in is, is the fear and admonition of the Lord. You obey your parents in the Lord. Because apart from the cross, nobody's able to do this. So we go on and we parent with the law and we parent with the standard. And the standard isn't food that we're feeding them. The standard is a big baseball bat that we're just pounding each other with. In, in, in the, in the, see, this, we really do think it's a matter of mere cognitive dissonance. In our frustration as parents, we think, I've explained it to them a thousand times. What are they, stupid? Now, if you've never said those words to your kids, I've a hard time believing that. But I, I grant it, some of you are holier than I am. You've thought it, though. You've thought it. Like, I mean, I, what do I got to do here? Just write it on a whiteboard and push it around in front of them so that it's always before their eyes, right? I mean, how hard is what I'm telling them? It's not hard. Uh, yeah, except the dying part is what you forgot. Romans 2, 19 through 24. See, this is what I'm talking. The standard, the, there is a standard. Fulfilling it is love. And, and there are all kinds of things that we, we don't slow down and read carefully, and so we miss that they're for us. Listen to what this says. Romans chapter 2, 19 through 24. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children. Hmm. I like that the instructor of the foolish is put right next to the teacher of children because that is sometimes what it feels like. This is a commandment for parents. Now listen. Having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You're so good. You're so good. You're so perfect. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Why aren't we making any headway? Why isn't the word of God going out in power and strength? Well, it's because the people who are supposed to be teaching the congregations, the people who are supposed to be teaching the children, the people who think they're just wonderful and fantastic and have it all figured out are hypocrites. The, it's not this. You teach a person to read. You teach them to read, and they can read this. You bring them in here. We get you baptized. You spend time in the fellowship. You spend time in prayer. Christ comes to you with the Spirit. He, he gets you to comprehend what this is. This is not hard to get. It's hard to do. And the only way, the only way a congregation learns how to do it is to have elders and deacons who are modeling it. The only way wives learn how to do it is by having husbands who model it. The only way that kids learn it is by having parents who model it. This is why they say, imitate, imitate, imitate. I told you what to do. You didn't have to write, there's not 15 letters to the Corinthian church. There's two. And then he says, do what I said. And then what do you say? Do what I did. Do what I did. If, you, if your kids aren't getting it, if the congregation isn't getting it, it's because nobody is showing them how to do it. Parents, if you seem like you're a broken record, a continual repetition of the standard, and those little hellions, if they would just obey it, and your frustration is mounting, and the surliness is intensifying, and you know what everybody's problem is if they would just listen to you, you have forgot the dying part. There's no love of a standard without dying. The standard, this nurturing that we were talking about at the beginning, the standard is Jesus. And what did he do? He came down in humility to die for God's children. That is your standard, parents. Come down in humility and die for them. Show them what... It, what obedience looks like. Show them what a love for the standard looks like and, and, what, and, and show them how much you love them by dying for them. And then what will happen? It's contagious. It is contagious. Now, kids, let me just say something now after all this. Your poor parents. Right? Your parents are not towards you like God the Father was towards the Son. They're not perfect. And, and I hate to break this to you, you're not quite the kids to your parents the way Jesus was to his father. Can we all agree on this? Nobody in here 
had the parents they deserved. They had parents who were way better than that. Nobody in here had the kids they deserved. They had kids who were way better than that. Because what do you deserve? There are no perfect parents. There are no perfect kids. There, there is Jesus Christ. And, and what he modeled was dying for others. What he modeled was selflessness. What he modeled was loving others and in return receiving love from them. Stop sitting around, gritting your teeth, demanding that everybody just love the standard. <laughs> Some of you, it may be news that there is a standard, but I think I've made that obvious. The standard is Jesus. That's the standard. This is why we have the cross and the crown of Jesus. Come to the cross of self, come to the cliff, and take a leap. Take a jump. That's what the son did. He said, I'll obey you all the way to the cliff's edge and over. And then who raised him up? Who raised him up? The father did. And, and, and this is, this is you, you take your kids to the cliff of self, and they leap off. Who's going to raise them up? You watch them go over the cliff's edge, and you're like, that's about right. That's what they should have done. No, go and lift them up. Praise them. Do you know how hard it is for them just to pick up the toys? <laughs> how hard it is for them not to roll their eyes? That food that they hate, that you make, how hard is it for them to eat it? Right? You take them to that cliff. You show them what it is to jump off of it. And when they do, you lift them up. Praise them. Bring them to your side. Show them your love and your affection for them. And this, this is how we raise little ones. This is how we raise little ones, just the way the father raised his son. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for the series on family, the series on uh, house cleaning. We pray, Lord God, that as we go from here, that we, we, would, um, we would pursue you, that we would repent as husbands and wives, as, as parents, as children, as grandparents, as friends. Uh, there, there is a great deal of love and compassion that you pour out on us every week, Father God. And, and we know that you have, you have a standard. And we know that you died for us so that we could enter into a relationship with you, that we could become members of your household, that we could see the way to live in this world that glorifies you. We pray, Lord God, that as we pursue that, that we would model it for one another, for our children, for our spouses, and that as we do this, that the word of God would be lifted up, the fame of Christ's name would be lifted up, and that love and, and true love and compassion and joy, Father God, would, would permeate all of our households and this whole congregation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.